When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. I'm Stephanie Safarian, and this is episode 92. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hello there and welcome back. This is the second episode in a two-part series focused on decluttering sentimental items. On last week's show, episode 91, I gave you seven strategic ways, keyword strategic ways, to tackle those emotional possessions in ways that get the job done. This week, I'm interviewing a guest who describes exactly what decluttering sentimental items looks like in practice. My guest this week is Erin Beckman. You'll hear Erin describe herself in the interview as a single mother and a widow, but the truth of the matter is she's really so much more than a single mom and a widow. She decluttered her entire attic full of deeply sentimental items, and she found herself in the process. I think you'll find Erin's journey to be quite inspirational as you consider whether you too are held in the past by your sentimental boxes. This week's show notes, you can find them at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 092. And be sure to stick around until the end of the episode for a new feature I'm adding to the show that features you, the listeners. Enjoy the interview. Erin, I am so excited to have you on the show today. We have a mutual friend, and that, of course, is Rose Lounsbury. Uh, listeners, if your ears are perking up when you hear the name Rose Lounsbury, that's because she was a guest on episode 17, way back, 17 of this podcast, and she is a wonderful minimalism coach. So I'm so happy she connected us, Erin. How are you doing? I am wonderful. It's it's nice to be here. And uh, yes, Rose is an inspiration to me. She's She is what got me started in my decluttering. When she tells me that she has the perfect guest for a specific topic I'm covering, I always listen to her advice. And I think you are the perfect guest to talk about decluttering sentimental items because you didn't just have a box of sentimental stuff or two boxes. You found yourself with an attic full of memories. Before we even get there, tell us about yourself. So um, I am a single mother of two girls. And I recently, about a month ago, went back to school 
to get my undergrad in organizational leadership after um, not working or doing anything besides taking care of people since 2007. So I'm excited to do something for myself. I was widowed in 2011, which is how I came upon an attic full of sentimental items. And when I say attic, I mean, I live in a Cape Cod and it's a walk-in full room filled with boxes. So it was quite the undertaking. That attic full of items, am I to assume that was all of your deceased husband's things? Um, most of it was. He he had ALS. And if, for those of you who don't know what that is, that's um, 100% fatal disease. He got that when he was 34. And so it's a disease of losses and you're, you're, you lose your control of your muscles. So his hands went first and then his legs and his speech and to the point where about a year and a half after diagnosis, he was totally paralyzed. So as he would lose function, like I say, he couldn't button things anymore. I would just box up his pants and shirts and stick them away. Uh, It was hard to get rid of things because that to me meant a loss of hope. And if I hung on to everything, then there was hope he would get better in in my mind. Hmm. And I'm sure, you know, you're caring for your young daughters, you're a caretaker to your husband. The thought of decluttering the stuff that was no longer needed due to utility wasn't even on your mind. Correct. (laughs) Not at all. Because we had also, he, I was pregnant when he was diagnosed. So we also had to, we were in a two-story home. So we had to move to a one-story home. And so we had to move in there. And then I got pregnant again. Decluttering was, was, gosh, probably the last thing on my mind back then. I was just in pure survival mode. Paint a picture for us of this attic. Okay, so the attic is, it, it's one of the largest attics I've ever seen. You know, when you get to the top of my stairs, it's a, a walk-in door to the right. And it's about a quarter of my upstairs. So when they, I live in an older home. And when they remodeled the upstairs, uh, they kept this enormous attic since these old homes don't have a lot of storage. So it's uh, a very functional attic. And when I moved into this house, I ended up just anything I didn't need shoving in this enormous attic. I wish I had pictures. I wish I had taken pictures because it was it was packed with boxes that hadn't been opened and and then it had all my holiday items too, which is eventually what prompted me to get started on decluttering it. I'm sure there are listeners who are thinking to themselves, why even attempt to tackle it? It's a huge undertaking. The stuff is not in your way. It's not in your living space. It's in the attic. What made you decide to tackle that attic and the emotions that went with the stuff? And more importantly, how did you know when the time was right to tackle all that stuff? Uh, It was a culmination of things. It was December of 2018, so last year. All the things in the attic, 
even though it's not in my everyday life, it adds a heaviness. And I'm sure a lot of listeners could relate to if you have a room where you pile everything, even though you don't see it, you feel it. It, It's a heaviness and it weighs you down. And I thought about it more than I should have it. I, I needed to move on and, um, Rose put out a challenge. It was the 12 days of Christmas. So day one, you got rid of one item. Day two, you got rid of two items and so forth and so on. And I said, well, I'm going to do this challenge. And day one, I had a van, I ended up with a van full of stuff that had just been sitting and it, the momentum just kept building. And as I went on, I, I started feeling better and better and knew that the time was right. This was, I I was, it had been seven years since my husband had passed and it it just seemed time for me to reclaim my own life and, and tackle it. I'm wondering whether keeping that stuff around kept you in the past almost. It prevented you from living in the present. Stephanie, that is a hundred percent how it felt. When I would go into the attic to get uh, change out a wreath or, you know, find a pumpkin to put out or whatever it was, I would see this and the memories would just come crashing down. I was having a hard time claiming my own life. I, I, I was very much stuck in the past. And every time I would see any of his things, it, it made me identify, oh, I'm a widow. This is who I am. This is, and you know, I was widowed at 37 and that I had, I I came to this realization that I have a lot of life to live and I've got to, I don't need to let him go. I don't need to let those memories go, but there's no reason for me to hang on to 40 boxes of memories. You've segued perfectly into a concern. Many of my listeners come to me with, which is when it comes to a deceased loved one, they feel or it almost feels as though donating and decluttering the deceased loved one's stuff is somehow a betrayal on the part of those still living. How would you respond to that? So I I completely can relate to that. Uh, what really helped me through those emotions was coming across a couple boxes of my dad's effects, and he passed away when I was 22. And somehow I ended up with boxes of his college items and some high school items and things that were his memories before I knew my dad. And when I went through these items, I thought, well, I didn't know... I. I have no ties to these memories. These aren't, these aren't, these are my mom's memories. These are his memories. And I didn't want this stuff. And I kept thinking about Chris's stuff, my late husband's things, knowing that if I saved these, that my kids would have no ties to these items either. Those were my memories. No one else's. Chris doesn't need these things anymore. He's gone. And I don't need these things either. The memories are not tied to these items. And I knew my girls would not want to be weighted down with these things either. Once I looked through my dad things and made, and made that connection. And that really opened my eyes to 
you know, other people can use these clothes and I, I don't need these to hang on to him. Uh, the stories are more important and passing on that legacy in other ways is way more important than the physical items. Hmm. You mentioned the memories are not in the stuff and we're totally going to come back to that. But before we go there, I want to go back to the steps you took even before you sifted through a single thing. So I know you said you signed up for Rose's challenge. Tell me about what you did at the beginning before you did any actual work. I went into this in a much different way than most minimalists recommend you declutter. I knew that if I held each item, the grief would be too strong. And I would attach a reason to keep each item. So how I approached it was I did some writing and some soul searching about the items that I thought were quintessential Chris. And I came up with I guess about 10 things that I knew were in the attic that I wanted to keep of his. My goal was to find those 10 items and let everything go. So it was was a very premeditated task. And then what I started doing was setting a 15 minute timer. And I would tell myself I'd work for 15 minutes at a time. And almost every time I would work gosh, probably a couple hours. It's it's like anything else, just the getting started every day. You mentioned grief a couple times. Were there any other emotions that came up during this process that surprised you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I um, It was fun to show. And I, when I would come across some things that would make me laugh or... <laughs> I would, and my girls are a little older now, and you know they don't remember their dad, but it would it would spark some things that I had I hadn't thought about in a long time, and then I could tell them about it. So there was a lot of joy there too, and that was also an interesting part of it because I love to write, so I was also writing at the same time about some of these emotions and memories and. Um, which is a great way to, when you let things go, if you come across something, take a picture and jot it down rather than hang on to the item. That was kind of a trick for some of the more difficult things I encountered. That's a great idea. I love that. 21st century living means that we always have a cell phone and a camera perpetually on our hip. So if you can take a picture of something, digitize it and remove that physical clutter from your house, I always would say that's an excellent idea. You mentioned that you went into this with the plan of keeping 10 items of Chris's. Without telling me all 10 items, I'm curious, what did you decide to keep? So I, when it was all said and done, I actually only kept two big items and they, they're not even very big items. One is his leather jacket that he wore every day of his life. He worked for Harley Davidson and rode motorcycles and he just, he always had that jacket on. So I had to keep that. And that's just hanging in my closet. I honestly don't know what will happen to it. It's just something I couldn't let go. And then the other item I kept was his favorite shirt that had this beautiful embroidery on the back. And I had that 
professionally framed. So I spent quite a bit of money having that displayed and that's hanging in my house. So I have a reminder of him that way. The only other material things I kept were anything that could fit in one filing cabinet. So awards from the military, um, letters he had written me, photos, of course. So I actually kept very, very few items. I When I laid out the 10 things, I didn't even feel like I needed that many. I did take pictures, but um, ultimately just kept those two things. It sounds like those two items that you decided to keep really captured Chris's essence. You didn't just willy-nilly pick some stuff. You picked things deliberately that memorialized the best of him. I I did. And there were things that he loved the most, and that also had a lot of memories tied to them for me. Um, And the jacket you know, I'll admit I, I do smell it every once in a while because I feel like I can still catch that scent of him. But those, exactly, those two things were kind of embrace what he loved and who he was. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that this process taught you that memories are not in stuff. What else did you learn? Gosh, I I think I've learned so much about myself. I would need a couple hours to talk to you. I I've always prided myself on being a strong woman, but when this by the time this was all said and done, I found so much inner strength and I felt like I could take on the world myself. And I I honestly think it it changed me quite a bit and I know that seems kind of crazy to say just getting rid of material items changed me, but it, it did. It, it propelled me into my future. I've been wanting to go back to school for a while. And I just was like, Oh, I don't know if I can do this. And, you know, I've already got my hands full and I just felt like, Hey, I did this and I've done this. <laughs> I have the strength to, do whatever I want to do. It just, it empowered me so much. And I'm not sure I understand why that happened, but it did happen. That is so beautiful. And you said it perfectly, which is a a phenomenon that I hear a lot of people try to put into words, but have trouble. And it's that on the outside, minimizing possessions, decluttering, tidying up, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't seem like it could be that transformative of an experience, right? Decluttering, tidying up, no big deal. But it is. And when you go through it and you come out on the other side, you realize almost that the process of doing something hard is transformative. It does make you think about yourself in a new way. You said you're going back to school and you have more confidence to try things and do things that you've always wanted to do. Tell us more about what your life looks like now, a year after tackling that attic. Now I am still on my minimalism journey. It, it, after the attic has spread to the rest of my house, 
my biggest pride and joy is I have a completely empty closet in the upstairs of my home. <laughs> so congratulations. Thank you. I know I open it all the time and look at it. I'm like, oh my gosh, an empty closet. So I, I, it's a work in progress. I have a long way to go, but I found a lot of joy in doing it. I would love to just cut you off <laughs> and, and just ask a question about when you started this process, it was just about cleaning out the attic. What made you decide to bring your efforts downstairs and tackle the rest of your house? It, it gosh, it, it, I think the, um, the emotion, the, the, the emotion of lightening my life and the energy it gave me. And I was just feeling so much better and I just kept it rolling. I, with every van load of material items that left my house, I, I seem to get a little bit more energy. I've been losing weight, like all these different things in my life that I've been wanting to do have culminated to where I feel like I'm a better person and I'm doing better in life. I'm taking better care of myself. I have more time. I, that that was an unexpected benefit from all this. I feel like I spend more quality time with my kids. I recently bought a camper and we we spend a lot more weekends away because I'm not stressed out about get, getting the house clean and shuffling my house around. And I, again, I have a hard time putting into words how transformative it is because it's hard for me to even believe how much it's changed my life. Yeah. Minimalism has the power to be magical. And I say that a lot and people probably roll their eyes at me when I'm not paying attention, but it's true. It's amazing how tidying up your stuff expands into other areas of your life. One last question. I would love to know what tips you have for people who felt like you once felt the sentimental stuff they're holding on to is holding them down and holding them back. They know the time is right. They know they need to tackle it, but they've been, for whatever reason, reluctant to do so. What tips do you have for those listeners? Well, the first thing is to be patient with yourself. You know, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. Don't let the bad days stop you. Just embrace the bad. Embrace that emotion. Embrace the way you feel, because that's part of the healing. Um, I, again, I found writing to be tremendous, a tremendous help. If you get to a point where you're blocked or you can't continue, or if writing's not your thing, maybe talk to a friend or try and get that emotion out and, and really un try and understand why you're feeling that way. And, why, why you're connected to these items. I think a lot of us, when we have these sentimental items, even though we, we tell ourselves we're not thinking about it, it's always there. Like anything difficult in life, once we face it head on, it becomes a lot easier. It's, I think, the avoidance that's hard. Yeah. Avoiding it takes energy. And 
that that wears you down over time. That energy that you are spending actively avoiding something. Absolutely. It's I think we can all relate to that on some level. Avoidance it takes a ton of energy. Erin, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on this podcast and opening yourself up and opening up a difficult time in your life. It's not easy to come on a podcast and talk about something lighthearted and cheery, let alone volunteer to come on a podcast and talk about your saddest moments. So I just want to thank you for being so brave. And I'm certain that your experience and your wisdom will help others. So thank you. Uh, Well, thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. If I can help one person, I'd be happy because I know it's not easy. I so hope you enjoyed that chat with my friend, Erin Beckman. Now, as I alluded to at the beginning of this episode, I am enacting a new feature on this show, and I'm calling it Eco Tips. (laughs) Now, what on earth is an Eco Tip? I get an awful lot of awesome ideas from you in emails and DMs and comments on the blog, and I respond to them. I respond to you, but I feel as though I can do better. And the way I can do better is to put those tips that you write to me out into the world in hopes of inspiring others. An eco tip is essentially a listener suggestion that has something to do with sustainable minimalism. Now, this week's eco tip, this first ever eco tip, is from listener Stacy. Stacy says that when it comes to old cell phones, don't overlook women shelters. Women shelters happily take old cell phones as donations, and that is because deactivated phones, they still have the ability to call emergency services in an emergency. I love it. Thank you so much, Stacy. Now, if you have an eco tip you want to hear on the air, you can email me or DM me or join our private Facebook group, The Sustainable Minimalist. I would love to hear from you and I would love to feature your eco tip on the show. Now, on next week's show, I am so thrilled, this is a big one for me, to outline exactly how I feed my family three times a day, 21 times a week. I'm also offering up some of my favorite low plastic meal suggestions as well. I will see you then. Have a great week. Take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.